everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I've got my producer, Joel, here in the studio with me as well. And today we are bringing it back to one of my favorite paranormal topics. Actually, I, I got to say, this is probably my top favorite when it oh, comes yeah? to the paranormal. It really is. I, I love the whole UFO phenomenon. Oh, uh, dude, for sure. The idea of aliens being real and possibly piloting these craft uh-huh. all, all over the place that we have been seeing for thousands of years. I mean, it's just, you know, started being recording in history with yeah. some of these incidents. Such an interesting topic. I mean, so many planets out there in our universe and, you know, there's just got to be life elsewhere. So I love diving into this topic because it's really interesting. And just, you know, the things that people see and experience and the unexplained phenomena that often follows a lot of these UFO sightings is really, really interesting. So That is what we're diving into today, specifically the infamous Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. This is probably one of the most famous cases or sightings in UK history, I would say. And it is a very, very interesting story. But before we get into that, I wanted to thank everybody who has uh, reached out via email, given us tons of suggestions for topics. We're really looking for some more hauntings to cover. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very tough because a lot of hauntings just, you know, are experienced by people that have never had something written about them or a right. movie made about them or have been covered in, you know, reported on like the Warren cases have been. So we're interested to see if anybody out there knows of any good haunting cases that we could cover. Mm-hmm. I'd love to cover some more of those. And it could be anything you guys have read or if there's a good documentary that you saw that was super interesting. You just let us know because we're constantly looking for all that. So, And I think we do actually have a few more Warren cases we could, yeah, we could do too. I, know I mean, we they do. have endless yeah. stuff. So I think we're going to kind of take a pivot away from some of the true crime and really dark true crime we've been yeah. covering well this these last few episodes has been in my opinion some of the darkest serial killers we've covered on the show so yeah it really has been also we're still looking for uh, graphic design artists uh, that we can commission for mm-hmm. our merch we're trying to you know come up with some unique designs and maybe do like a fan uh, fan created collection yeah be really cool. absolutely some different designs from different artists that'd be mm-hmm. really sick some unique stuff you know like yeah. i feel like so many podcasts and just influencers at that have like such generic yeah, merchandise right. like it all kind of looks the same it's all made by like a professional graphic designer uh-huh. but i often find that i buy like merch from you know whether it's bands or just you know people that i like that are is truly unique and has like mm-hmm. unique designs that was created by a really talented artist so yeah i yeah so we're looking for anybody that's got design skills absolutely and we were just recently looking through um a lot of uh design examples or you know that was sent to us uh some really cool really cool stuff really cool loving it so keep it coming again you can email us at lop at milehire.com and yeah if we may not respond to you, but we're definitely going to take a look at everything that gets sent in. And if we you know, find something that we like, we'll definitely reach out. Also, I just want to remind everybody to keep the reviews and ratings coming on Apple Podcasts specifically. Uh, we do really enjoy to see your guys' feedback on the show and what you're enjoying and maybe what you're not enjoying. So uh, definitely make sure you're also subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts. It's super important that 
you know, you're actually subscribed there. It does really help us out mm -hmm. as well as on YouTube because we do post a video version of the show there as well with tons of oh, yeah. graphics and pictures. And we, we put in so much time into our YouTube. I don't edit it. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm just saying we just put in so much effort into our videos trying to make it, you know, cinematic and enjoyable to watch and listen to. And, you know, so yeah, definitely subscribe to us on YouTube. Do it, do it. But this episode of the Lights Out Podcast is brought to you by Raycon and Plush Care. And you know what? Let's not waste any more time and let's get right into the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. So it's interesting that the UFO whole phenomenon has really been in especially mainstream media lately because recently there was actually some footage that was leaked through a filmmaker named Jeremy Corbell of what appears to be pyramid shaped UFOs among some other different types of unidentified craft that uh, were captured by Navy personnel, uh, I believe off the coast of California. Uh, really, really interesting footage. Um, if you haven't seen it, we'll overlay it here, but it is definitely kind of in, I think most people's minds these days, most people are very familiar with UFOs or have become interested in the topic more recently. And I find that really cool because I think UFOs is going to be a really big thing that that might have a, a huge impact on just humanity as a whole. I think it Absolutely. could be, you know, when we finally figure out what these things are, is there something mm -hmm. or somebody piloting them where they come from? When we start digging into that, you know, whole issue and finding some answers to that, hopefully, I think it could potentially change the world i mean absolutely if you think about it. the more and more people that can become woke uh to to aliens and this type of stuff i mean the better for humanity i really hope so <laughs> yeah but on the on the flip side though there's a lot of people that do think that there's a possibility that these ufos could be some type of threat could be a national security issue i mm -hmm. mean there's ex-military and people that were in the pentagon's program that are saying that you know the fact that this has been just kind of not only hushed up for so yeah. long but also you know kind of overlooked yeah is you know concerning to them because they feel like there could be some huge you know downsides to uh -huh. not taking the ufo phenomenon as seriously as as they think we should be yeah when it comes to the military and our government especially um so and again i mean there's a lot of people that think there's a lot of stuff that's just still classified top secret that mm -hmm. we just don't know yeah, and and we've covered that in previous uh, episodes on alien abductions on how, well, we think how much the government is involved in it. Yeah, and I mean, there's supposed to be a big report that's released here in June that uh, President Trump actually mandated in uh, a bill from a year or so ago, and they're going to be releasing a bunch of information as far as oh, what nice. the Pentagon and you know some of the other agencies of the government have been studying when it comes to this unidentified aerial phenomena which is the new term for it, uap as opposed to ufo but today we are specifically going to be covering an incident that occurred in 1980 uh, in the rendlesham forest which is a remote and dense forest it's about six square miles near the coast of forgive me if i pronounce this wrong but suffolk england about 100 miles northeast of london and in 1980 there were two military bases on either side of this force. There's a Royal Air Force Woodbridge and Royal Air Force Bentwaters. And these bases were also used by the United States Air Force during the Cold War. 
And at this particular time, tensions were high between the Americans and British militaries as well as the Soviet Union. So all military personnel at these bases were on high alert. So on December 26, 1980, security guards from the Royal Air Force Woodbridge were on a late night patrol when they received a report from a villager about a mysterious aircraft they observed. They said it was shaped like an upside down mushroom and was hovering over his garden. So around 3 a.m., two officers guarding the east gate also observed a strange light out in the forest. And it was a dome-shaped red light, almost like a glowing orb, approximately one mile from the gate near the east side of the base's runway. The red glowing light descended into the forest, and the guards thought it must be some sort of aircraft that was on fire that was like, you know, doing a crash landing. Because there really was no other reasonable explanation for this glowing light. So they actually radioed it in and then got permission to go and investigate it on foot. Two others joined them and they left one officer at the gate and the three of them walked into the forest along the base's perimeter fence. And as they walked along, the radio transmissions started to break up. So they left an officer at the edge of the forest near the fence in order to relay messages back to the guard at the gate. The other two, John Burroughs and Jim Penniston, continued on. As they made their way through the forest, they finally approached what they thought was a crash site, and they saw bright lights flickering through the trees about 12 inches off the ground. And as they stepped into a clearing, that's when they saw a black triangular shaped object about the size of a car. And it was actually emitting strong beams of light from its base, and then it made it appear as if it was hovering. There were multicolored green, orange, and white lights all around the bottom. And once they confirmed it wasn't a crash site, Jim terminated the emergency response protocol of the radio and instead initiated the helping hand situation, which meant a response to a possible hostile threat to the base. And as they cautiously moved closer, walking got harder and harder. It was as if the air was suddenly dense and the whole experience almost became dreamlike. It was as if everything was happening at half the speed. So imagine not only coming upon this just glowing lights in the middle of the forest, but also as you're coming closer to it, it's almost as if gravity is being shifted and you can't even, you know, you're moving in like slow motion as you're coming closer and closer to this object. At this point, Jim was super shaken up and he honestly wasn't sure if they were going to survive this incident. The animals in the forest were also going wild at this point. It sounded like every living creature started making noise at the same time. And once they got within 10 feet of the craft, they could finally move freely again. It was as if the air had thinned and time felt like it was running normal again. They stepped carefully over the broken tree branches and got close enough to see strange markings on the side of the craft. Jim was an experienced commission officer specializing in aircraft recognition. And any type of aircraft that existed in any country around the world he had for sure studied it, but this craft was unlike anything he had ever seen before. It was about 10 feet tall and 10 feet wide at the base. He looked all around it for signs that it was a man-made craft, but there was not the normal things that you would often see on an aircraft. There was no landing gear, compartments, openings, exhausts, or seams where the material was even being held together. The material it was made out of had colors running through it. And when the color stopped, it looked like shiny black glass. Jim could feel what he later called a sphere of influence around it. 
He said there were strange characters or glyphs etched into the black glass, and they were three feet wide and about six inches tall, and it was unlike any sort of writing he had ever seen before. Here's actually a little clip of Jim talking about what he saw. I could see a dome of light over the forest, and then I could see multiple color lights inside the forest, which appeared to be maybe, uh, in my assessment, a aircraft crash. But once I got inside the, uh, the wooded area, uh, I knew it was an aircraft crash. At this point though, Jim was overwhelmed by fear. But at the same time, you know, you get that rush of adrenaline and he felt compelled to move forward. So Jim reached out and touched the surface of the craft. He ran his finger over the smooth glass. And when he touched the glyphs, the texture changed. It almost felt rough like sandpaper. Imagine like looking at something that you're like, this is for sure made out of glass. It's smooth. But yet when you touch it, it has a di totally different mm -hmm. texture. It's like something out of this world. It really is. It, it, I mean, I don't know of any type of material that feels like that looks like glass. But then when you touch it, it's sandpaper. Yeah, and me neither. So it's very, very weird. Uh huh. But when he touched the triangular glyph, he suddenly felt a jolt and parts of the craft lit up, including the area around the symbols. There was a blast of bright white light, and then he was stunned and momentarily blinded. John was standing back and saw the woods light up during the blast. The animal noises grew louder, and the craft flashed red and blue lights. The craft then rose into the air and then suddenly took off through the forest. It bobbed up and down and side to side in order to avoid hitting the trees. John and Jim followed the lights to the edge of the forest, and on the other side was a field and a farmer's house. So they climbed over a fence to get a better look, and as they stepped closer to the red glow of the craft, it shot up into the sky at an incredibly fast rate of speed. There was then another blinding flash, as it exploded silently in a burst of white light, and then it was just gone, like that. The US military actually notified the Suffolk police about the strange event, and officers arrived at the scene just after 4 a.m. They listened to what the guards had seen and said it was just the light from the Orfordness Lighthouse, which was just a few miles away on the coast. But Jim and John knew what they had seen was not a beam of light from a lighthouse because they had seen multiple colored lights, clearly an unidentified aircraft as well as an explosion. And they knew a lighthouse beam couldn't mimic moving through the forest as well as voiding trees and changing colors. But just after dawn, a group of U.S. servicemen went back to the clearing and they actually found physical evidence that something strange had happened the night before. In the ground, there were three impressions that formed the shape of a triangle and broken branches all around the triangle, but not inside of it. Something had been sitting there, and whatever it was had to have been very heavy. The indentations on the ground were one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter, but the ground was frozen solid. There were scorch marks on all the trees in the clearing that were facing that spot. The local police were called back at 10.30 that morning, and after looking at the physical evidence, they said that an animal made the holes in the ground, maybe a rabbit, and they just dismissed the scorch marks as well as the broken branches. And obviously there's no way that's true because we've seen in previous cases, I was just thinking Skinwalker Ranch as well, that out on the ranch there were broken branches where the trees were, meaning that there had to have been something hovering above them or you right. know, even in yeah. it, which to me is... Yeah. A spacecraft. Yeah. And as somebody that has rabbits, I can confirm that a rabbit would not do that. 
<laughs> rabbits like to dig, but they're not going to no. not going to move branches around, let alone scorch trees. Right. What was interesting is that the indentations were arranged in a perfect triangle and over an inch deep into rock hard frozen ground. And whatever made those marks likely weighed at least a few tons. But still, the local police just dismissed it. Meanwhile, the military took it very seriously, and they started preparing their officers in case the craft came back. Guards on patrol were on lookout for anything strange, and they were given Geiger counters and starlight scopes. A Geiger counter is used to detect radiation and measure how much of it is in an area. A starlight scope is basically an early version of night vision that can also pick up heat signatures. And I think it's really interesting how the frozen ground piece was overlooked like that. I mean, it's just bizarre to find that the ground being that frozen like that, I would hope they would try and grab some samples of the ground, take it back to the lab, do some testing. See, I mean, maybe they're thinking radiation, but it could have been something completely different. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that the police just, it was beyond their no, you know, yeah. they, don't, they don't really know what they're looking at. They're True. Like, oh, if there's no blood, no body. Then Yeah, it doesn't fit their, really, what they're yeah, looking for type exactly. of thing. I mean, it, I understand why they would just assume it was animals, but mm-hmm. but once you know, you know, more of the information of what was actually witnessed there, yeah, you know, you'd probably want to take a closer look. But then on Saturday, December 27th, there was a Christmas party at the base. One of the officers attending the party was Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt also the deputy base commander. Charles had heard the rumors of a UFO sighting, but immediately dismissed them. He didn't believe in things like that and thought it was a distraction from the real work they were there to do. During the party, Lieutenant Bruce Englund ran in out of breath and panicked, and he found Charles and said, Sir, it's back. The UFO is back. There was a report of a second sighting over an open field near the east side of the forest. Charles was annoyed, and this rumor had gone on long enough, and he felt like it was mass hysteria that was taking over the base. He told Bruce he'd meet the night patrol and go out to the forest himself to debunk the hoax and calm everyone down. He went back to his room to change and then met the patrol group just after midnight on December 28th. Charles had a tape recorder with him. He always carried it to take notes for himself and to document things around the base, so it wasn't unusual that he had had it during the patrol. And for the next few hours, he turned the tape recorder on and off dozens of times. He had to be very selective about what he recorded because the tape could only record 20 minutes. And the full audio of the recording he captured ended up being just over 18 minutes long. In this recording, Charles and Bruce can be heard, along with Sergeant Monroe Nevels and Sergeant Bobby Ball. Sergeant Nevels had the Geiger counter, but since he was a chemical defense instructor, and disaster preparedness and not a trained nuclear specialist, he wasn't sure how to use it properly. And this becomes pretty obvious on the tape. So throughout this recording, that you just heard. Charles is going from calm and collected to surprised and then downright stunned at what they're witnessing. All the witnesses have been interviewed multiple times through the years and have verified that this recording is 100% real. This is what happened that night. The group walked through the forest and into the clearing where the guards had been a few nights before. They saw the ground indentations right away. And to them, it did look like a very heavy object had landed there and made the impressions with three extensions maybe some sort of landing gear. 
Each extension landed and then twisted from side to side, making this one and a half inch indentation in the frozen ground. And Charles knew that there was no way to dig into the ground like that without a ton of force or a very heavy object that weighed several tons. All around the clearing were broken tree branches, and the surrounding trees were noticeably damaged. Some branches were broken off from about 15 to 20 feet up. Next, they saw the burn marks on the trees. And when Charles inspected these marks, he sounded noticeably agitated or nervous. And he immediately started ordering the other officers to take samples of the scorched bark. Are there any rains on the tree you've taken samples from on the side facing the suspected landing site? Four clicks, Vax. Up to four. Interesting. That's right where you're taking the sample now. Four. That's the strongest point on the tree? Yes, sir. If you come to the back... There's no clicks whatsoever. No clicks at all on the back. It's all on the Maybe side facing the... Interesting. The indentations look like something twisted as it got, you know, as it sat down on them. Looks like someone took something and sat it down and twisted it from side to side. Mm -hmm. The marks were round and three to four inches in diameter with a crystalline pine sap coming out of them. He told the officers to get samples of the sap as well. So they gathered scrapings from the trees and collected soil samples while Monroe tried to work the Geiger counter to test the area for radiation. And when they did, the radiation levels were off the charts. And what they noticed is that they were highest near the indentations in the ground and near the surrounding trees. A background level of radiation is a reading of around 0.03 to 0.04 millirotogens per hour. But that night they detected 0.07 per hour at the landing site. Intelligence staff at the military defense analyzed these readings and concluded they were significantly higher than the average background levels without being immediately dangerous though. Charles was alarmed by the radiation levels, but he still thought there must be a rational explanation for what was going on. So he ordered the officers to take diligent notes and to take pictures to make sure everything was well documented. He assumed they would collect evidence and once it was examined, you know, they'd have the answer to what caused the indentations, and the radiation. Bruce looked through the starlight scope and immediately saw heat reflection coming off one of the trees, about three to four feet off the ground. And every tree within a 10-foot radius of the landing site had a similar heat reflection. The officers then saw a white streak in front of one of the trees and then a series of spots. So they all turned off their flashlights so they could see the light. Charles then looked at the spots through the scope and the light got much brighter. He didn't think that they were looking at heat. It was some other form of energy. Around this time, they heard loud animal sounds, and Charles thought it was coming from the neighboring farm. But this farm had no animals, it was just crops. This meant that all the noises they were hearing were from wild animals in the forest, and the fact that they're just making all this noise is very, very eerie and weird. Because, I mean, wild animals, I mean, they're out there all the time. So why are they all sounding off right now? Well, it makes me think that perhaps animals are hearing something that goes undetected uh, to the human ear so yeah it's a great point there's uh, probably a some, frequency that right. is you know beyond our level of hearing uh -huh. that you know we all know that 
animals can dogs can oh hear yeah their hearing is way better than ours yeah it's a really good point so maybe whatever is causing the radiation is also giving off some sort of sound frequency that only mm-hmm. you know the animals can hear which would make sense yeah then in the distance they saw a light and you can actually hear the shock in charles's voice the first time he saw it it was a glowing red light with a yellowish tinge about a quarter mile to a half a mile away it flashed on and off, and with about five seconds between each flash. It is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There is no doubt about it. This is weird. To the left. Yeah, definitely moving on. Two, two lights. Two one right. light to the front, okay. one light to the left. Keep the flashlights off. There's something very, very strange. Keep the headset on. See if it gets any stronger. Okay. Give us, give us a rundown. I just said on a beta reading, too. It's on a beta reading? Okay. The still has been removed. Okay. The officers walked carefully toward it, continuing to check for increased radiation. They found higher levels at a random spot about a half a mile away from the clearing. And when they got closer to the source of the light, they saw an object at least 30 feet across and 20 feet tall hovering in midair. The red light was a dome shape on top. And as the craft moved through the forest, it dodged around trees and never touched anything. And when they got to the edge of the field, the animal noises stopped. They had heard a lot of animals, but they had only seen one bird. All the rest stayed hidden. But now, the forest was very, very calm and eerily quiet. The Geiger counter detected high levels of radiation right around them, about four feet off the ground. At this point, they were just 200 or 300 yards away from the craft. And through the starlight scope, Charles could see a dark, hollow-looking center inside a reddish-orange glowing orb. The light blinked on and off, almost like a winking eye. Okay, we're looking at the thing. We're probably about two to 300 yards away. It looks like an eye winking at you. It's still moving from side to side. And when you put the star scope on it, it, it sort of has a hollow center, a dark center. It's, it's you know, like a pupil of an eye looking at you and winking. And the flash is so bright to the star scope that uh, it almost burns your eye. The scope made the glowing eye, though, about a thousand times brighter and four times as large. It was so bright, Charles thought it might burn his eyes. The reflection on the side of the farmer's house at the edge of the field was so bright, it looked as if the whole thing was on fire. They then walked through the field and past the house, and the light kept moving away from them. They crossed over a creek on the eastern side of the second field, and the radiation level picked up as the light flashed again. It was still bright red. And without warning, it shot up into the sky, shedding sparks or molten metal or who knows what, and then exploded like fireworks into five separate white bursts of light, and then just disappeared. 305, we see strange uh, strobe-like flashes to the uh, rather sporadic, but there's definitely something, uh, some kind of phenomenal. 305, at about uh, 10 degrees horizon, uh, directly north, we've got two strange objects uh, half moon shape, dancing about with colored lights on them. But, uh, gets to be about five to ten miles out, maybe less. The half moons have now turned into full circles. As though there was an ellip- eclipse or something there for a minute or two. In its place were three star like objects two to the north and one to the south. And Charles estimated that they were about five to ten miles away. They then darted through the sky and started flashing like a strobe light, each one a glowing metallic looking object with red, green, and blue lights. Then they stopped flashing and were steady, hovering in the night sky. The lights settled over the horizon, and the rest of the sky was completely clear. 
The two to the north were now bright half-moon shapes, and the half-moons turned into circles, like an eclipse. A beam of light then shot out of the object to the south toward the ground as it sank lower in the sky. The lights to the north hovered for another hour and disappeared, and the one to the south stayed for two or three hours, turning the beam off and on multiple times. Then it was gone. That's just wild. That's like, that's really cool because like, there's not really anything to be afraid of necessarily. Mm -hmm. You're kind of just in awe of like what this thing is. Mm -hmm. And it's clearly got some sort of intelligence to it. I mean, just by what it, you know, what they're observing it doing. What do these lights mean? Is right. there any, you know, there's clearly something, either the craft itself is some, is somehow intelligent or there's something on board that's piloting it that's intelligent. Just from the mere fact that this thing avoids trees yep. when it flies through the forest. So I'm sure they're just like, what that just wanted to know so bad what mm -hmm. was what this thing was. And I can't think of anything off the top of my head that can explain that or debunk these lights like that. Like this is clearly yeah. something yeah. that can't be explained or you know. Yeah, it's really yeah, it's a hundred percent unexplained phenomenon. Yeah. There's no no way around it for sure. It reminds me of actually a a personal story of Oh yeah. Of I was up in uh, the mountains actually near South Park. Colorado mm, nice and we were staying with some friends in like a cabin kind of in the woodsy area and one of the night or I think both of the nights we were there our friends they were like staying in a loft area mm -hmm. and we were and we were staying in a bedroom but they were up in the loft and they said in the middle of the night these bright blue light just like shines through the windows there and we're talking about being like out in the middle of nowhere pretty much interesting so there's no nobody around us there's no way it could have been headlights it wasn't a plane it wasn't a helicopter we're literally out in the middle right. of the forest because i think i remember you telling me this story and you also mentioned that there was no sound no and it, it, was, it was uh just yeah seeing bright light it was like a bright light coming through illuminating the whole cabin though mm. according to them and I, I i came they got me like come out here and look and of course when i went out there it was gone it was just gone like and ended that. up staying out there and like waiting to see if he'd come back but yeah. what was interesting about it is as soon as i went back to bed it happened again wow and it literally lit up the whole thing and it almost they were like on their bed and uh -huh. they said that it was as if the light was coming from underneath their bed holy shit but it was also like coming through from outside damn it was like the most bizarre that's, but it just reminded yeah. me of this like i yeah, wonder what it was like, that's a great example of something like this yeah unexplained lights man I mean, right like there's so many cases of that and and they just vanish so quickly but every alien case we've covered on the sh this show have that in common that the unexplained lights and orbs and, and like that they're that. able just to like take off at hyper speed right, right the minute you start looking at it and start uh -huh. trying to like get a better view of it they're gone yeah just and they're like super quiet and yeah. also another commonality with this story with other stories is the the spacecraft for whatever this energy or presence is is able to have such an effect on its surroundings like that like almost like it's this own shield or energy bubble yeah i mean it's, it's literally warping time and space yeah which is a really trippy concept to try to wrap your head around but like as it's moving through the air it's clearly not, it's using a different set of like laws to yeah to pilot itself it's not beholden to like earth's gravity 
right it's able to create its own like you said like almost energy uh-huh. field around it's like a whole another science yeah, yeah it is it's it's a science maybe human race hasn't uncovered yet or you know i don't know yeah it's something unexplainable that's yeah for sure so let's get into you know the response to the second sighting but before we do we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back the next day after this second sighting a forestry worker named vince thurkettle was out chopping wood early in the morning and a car he didn't recognize pulled up near him and two men got out they were about 30 years old or so and dressed in nice black suits sounds like the men in black came to check out what they had witnessed the night before yep and one of them had an english accent and they approached vince and said they wanted to ask him a few questions they asked if he had been out late the night before he hadn't but they asked if he had left the house at all or if he had seen anything unusual but vince had no idea what they were talking about he asked what he might have seen and they said that there had been multiple reports of red lights in the forest and they were there checking around for witnesses vince said he didn't know anything about that and obviously he's getting a little intimidated by these two men in black but the men were polite but firm They asked him about 20 questions to verify that he knew nothing about the lights. And then they abruptly ended the interview and told him it was probably nothing and left. Vince just assumed the men were journalists. So for the next few days, he bought a paper and checked for reports about something strange happening in the forest. Yet nothing was ever reported. After that, he started to hear rumors of a UFO sighting. He wanted to see the spot and begged his boss to take him out to the clearing. But when they got there, He was disappointed. It just looked like any ordinary spot in the forest with a few rabbit holes. After this, he remained a skeptic and got annoyed anytime someone told him he had been visited by the infamous men in black. Meanwhile, Charles Halt submitted a memo about the incident to the Ministry of Defense, and this became known as the Halt Memo. The memo was dated January 13, 1981, entitled Unexplained Lights. And since it wasn't written until two weeks later, there were some errors in the dates and times. But the facts of what happened are all there. The Ministry of Defense briefly investigated and decided the incident wasn't a security threat, so there was no reason to look further into it. John Burroughs and Jim Penniston both suffered from PTSD after that night and Rendlesham Forest. But since neither of them wanted to jeopardize their career in the military, they stayed quiet for decades. Jim was a serious person. He wasn't an attention seeker, someone who made up stories. After all, he had a top secret clearance in the military and he just wanted to put this all behind him. He had no intention of ever talking about it again. But something happened to him when he touched the surface of the craft. The burst of light that temporarily stunned and blinded him had a lasting effect. He felt as if information had been downloaded into him. He couldn't shake the feeling. He kept seeing visions of ones and zeros as clear as if they were right in front of him. That's so interesting because ones and zeros is the, like the uh, universe's uh, main language, I yeah. think. Something like that. Or uh, not main language, but universal language. Right. So makes sense. So as he's seeing the ones and zeros, he decides to take out a notebook and start writing down the sequences exactly as he saw them. He wrote out ones and zeros until the vision stopped and he had no idea what any of it meant. But the more he wrote, the better he felt. And by the time he was done, the visions were gone, and he felt much, much better. 
He put the notebook away and actually forgot about it for the next 30 years. And after he retired, he was talking to someone about the glyphs he saw on the craft and remembered that he had drawn a picture. So he took out the notebook and the person asked about the ones and zeros. It's binary code as well. And binary code is a way to translate information so a computer can read it. And once Jim learned this, he had it translated by a computer programmer who used a complex software program. The programmer didn't know anything about where the message came from, but the actual message said, quote, exploration of humanity, continuous for planetary advance, eyes of our eyes, origin year, 8100. After that was a list of coordinates, both longitude and latitude, and these coordinates matched the exact locations of multiple mysterious and sacred sites, including the pyramids of Giza in Egypt, the Nazca lines in Peru, and the temple of Apollo in Greece. Interesting. Isn't that, I mean, what are the chances that he just, you know, he happens to write down binary code that translates the coordinates that happens to be the coordinates for basically all of the sacred sites and pyramid sites in the entire world. I mean, right. All of these like main earth landmarks that, yeah. I, I mean, even the pyramids still to this day, there's controversy around who built the pyramids. Was it these aliens or was it humans, you know? So yeah. And I mean, the, Naz- really the Nazca lines have never been, been uh, explained by anybody as far as I wow know. and those are big depictions drawn into the actual earth itself that are still i mean mm. have been there for a very very long time and can only be seen from the air wow so these are huge and so you you have to wonder like you know is there more significance you know interstellar significance yeah. to these different sites well this definitely makes me think so yeah it really does well one of the coordinates matched high brazil a mythical island from Celtic folklore that dates back to 1325. And this location is west of Ireland in the Atlantic Ocean and was included on multiple maps that were otherwise reliable. It's actually referred to as the Irish Atlantis. Jim doesn't believe this message came from an alien life form, though. He believes that it came from an interdimensional craft that was actually sent by humans from the year 8100. That's really interesting to me. The mm-hmm. idea that these UFOs are time travel. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And this is a theory that is actually very seriously taken by a lot of, of academics even. like, And it's honestly one theory that I really just can't shake because I think there could be a, a very real possibility of time travelers you know, mm-hmm. that could even be of human origin that... Are, are coming back you know to visit us yeah for whatever reason or to just see what it's like here i mean maybe in eight thousand, you know years like they probably have that technology to, mm-hmm. to do that the so. knowledge the know-how mm-hmm. like they're able to put time in the palm of their hand while yeah. we here on the humans on earth can't even imagine how to do that right so that's pretty incredible And to back this up even more, Ronald Mallett, who is a theoretical physicist, author, and professor at the University of Connecticut, without even knowing anything about Jim or his story, has said that if humans ever discover a way to time travel and want to send messages to the past, the best way to do it would be through binary code. 
And this was a conclusion based on his own research and knowledge of theoretical physics. Because if you think about it, I mean, what what other way would there be other than to send a message through binary code? What would be able to, you know, what traverse that type of situation where you're actually going through space and time, mm-hmm. you know, backwards at that, which is wild to think about going back in time. Oh, yeah. Many of us think that time only runs forward. Right. So, you know, the one thing that could allow you to communicate in this type of situation would be ones and zeros Mm -hmm. i mean how interesting it really sounds like some science fiction but again you have to remember that anything in science that we don't understand yet always seems like fiction but that doesn't mean it's not true or possible theoretically time travel is possible It, it you know there's there is a way to do it yeah it's just would we ever be able to harness the energy required right. the energy required in order to get yourself going you i believe you have to go the speed of light Whoa. in order to time travel so how do you get a Damn. human to go the speed of light and you know and survive and so, yeah. that's the thing is like you right know, you know, you're essentially gonna you know there's no way a human uh-huh. body could withstand that kind of no. force so maybe in the future they figure out a way to do that i hope so it's pretty cool to think about I mean, people like Stephen Hawking have been speculating for a very long time that time travel is theoretically possible, but others argue that time travel violates the laws of physics, but these laws can't really be violated. That's the thing about it. If something like time travel is possible, it's possible through physics. If it's not possible through physics, then it's just not possible. But that's the thing with physics is it does allow you that possibility. And if time travel is real, then the message could have come from humans of the future or perhaps from from some type of alien life form that also has this type of technology. Hidden dimensions are also possible under string theory. So the idea of it being a multidimensional craft is very, very possible. I mean, most people have heard about CERN, which has the most powerful particle accelerator in the world and the Large Hadron Collider. Very, very interesting stuff. Maybe we'll have to do an episode on that as well. Uh, That topic's really interesting. And I mean, they're smashing particles or attempting to make, you know, black holes and things like that in more of like a lab situation. But they're they're trying to see how far, you know, we can really go when it comes to dimensions and, and things like that. So super, super interesting stuff. So it's possible that an alien species or humans from the future discovered a way to access these hidden dimensions or portables in order to try and send a message to the past through Jim Peniston. So let's talk about some theories. Many officials still claim that what the officers saw on these two nights was the light from the Orfordness lighthouse, which I think it's pretty unlikely that it was a lighthouse. I feel like most people would be able to discern lights coming from a lighthouse, even if you're in a forest. I mean, a lighthouse, the the lights aren't multicolored for one. Mm, yeah. And how do you explain the craft that was seen? I mean, you'd have to discount pretty much the entire right. story to say, oh, it was just a lighthouse. Lighthouse, that's ridiculous. Right? Some people think that these incidents were a prank, which I <laughs> love this theory. I love oh theories God. that say it's a prank. Yeah. By British troops against the Americans using colored flares and remote-controlled kites. No. No way in hell. That's why. That's the most pointless prank ever, and there's no way they could pull it off and fool, fool everybody mm-hmm. to this degree. There's no way. No way. The British Astronomical Association meteor section claimed it was an exceptionally brilliant meteor called a fireball. No. It's, no. Doesn't explain the bright lights. Doesn't explain the craft, the glassy craft that they saw. It doesn't explain really anything other than an unknown light in the sky. Right. 
The Ministry of Defense decided almost immediately that there is no reason to look into the incident any further because it wasn't a security threat. So none of these alternate theories were ever proven. But despite what skeptics think, this is still one of the most well-documented UFO sightings to ever occur. Part of that is because there's so much physical evidence, and it's also because the witnesses were highly regarded. I mean, these are trustworthy members, intelligent members of the U.S. military. I mean, why the fuck would they make shit up for, like... Put their reputation on the line. Why would exactly. they why would discredit they, why would themselves they like that? that? Yeah. For a prank or some bullshit? Like, no. No. No way. Charles Halt, John Burroughs, and Jim Penniston were all deeply affected by what they saw and experienced. A very famous and well-respected UFO researcher named Nick Pope actually worked with John and Jim in order to you know, get all of their information and documentation put it into a book, which is called Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, the inside story of the world's best documented ufo incident and the book presents the evidence as it happened and it actually doesn't come to any conclusion about what they actually saw or witnessed or what this craft might have been nick was uniquely qualified to write this book he worked in the ministry of defense from 1985 to 2006 and in the early 90s he worked at the so-called ufo desk and it was his job to analyze the potential defense threats of ufo sightings and throughout his career nick investigated hundreds of sightings a year Most of them had a clear logical explanation, but about 5% took more digging to figure out what really happened. He officially reopened the Rendlesham case in 1993, yet it's never been solved. Nick doesn't believe it can be solved unless new witnesses come forward or new evidence is found. In 2006, Nick actually started a career as a freelance journalist and media commentator and investigates mysterious and unexplained phenomena even to this day. In fact, he has lots of comments about the the recent UFO footage that was released that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I definitely recommend you check that out if you're interested because I think he does have a very credible perspective to the whole subject. In 2009, the Ministry of Defense announced an end to all investigations of UFO sightings, which, (laughs) yeah, right. No, more like just we renamed it and hit it even better than before because UFO sightings are still happening. They're clearly still investigating it. They're just trying to pretend like they're not taking it seriously yeah even though the u.s government's kind of on the opposite and they're like yeah this is real right but for whatever reason the uk government's like oh yeah never existed Mm -hmm. just trying to sweep it under the rug and what's interesting is that the story about the rendlesham ufo incident wasn't actually published by the media until three years later in 1983 and the front page story of the uk news of the world read ufo lands in suffolk and that's official The story that was written was based on the HALT memo, which was released by the U.S. government. And while we don't know what happened, we know something happened that weekend in Rendlesham Forest. Even if someone could explain away the indentations in the ground, the scorch marks on the trees, and the broken branches, there's still no explanation for the increased levels of radiation in the area. Charles believes that the craft was definitely under intelligent control. He literally watched it dart through the forest without hitting a single tree, and it moved away from them as they got closer to it so i mean that tells you right there there's some form of intelligence either in the craft or the craft itself is intelligent oh it definitely does like there is a possibility that the craft could be like some type of ai based craft like there's no biological life form on it Mm -hmm. like a human or an alien life form but perhaps the craft itself is just a very advanced piece of technology that has some sort of artificial intelligence to it Mm -hmm. uh which is is very possible. Yeah. But Charles has also talked to experts in multiple fields from all over the world, and no one has really come up with a satisfactory explanation. 
Nick Pope has theorized that it could have been a secret prototype drone made by the U.S. or U.K. government. The drones, missiles, and aircrafts that will be used in 20 or 30 years are being developed right now. You have to remember that, that what's being developed and tested on is likely a, a good amount ahead of the technology that we know of. Yeah. You would think. But still, 20 or 30 years for this? Eh, at, no. There's no way that at 1980, that'd be like 2000 that they would have some technology like this, but maybe they did. That's the thing is like, it could go, you know, we could have had this type of technology for years and years Mm -hmm. and years going back to the forties when Roswell happened. I mean, there's, yeah. And, and I do think it's possible that the UK government or government in general can have like an undercover project with technology like this. And maybe that's why, you know, when the UK government didn't, look into it further that they're just sweeping it under the rug well, yeah maybe totally. it could have been one of their crafts but i doubt it yeah it's it's really hard to say and i you know i appreciate nick pope for not just like saying it's an alien aircraft you know it's mm-hmm. an alien ship that was witnessed because there isn't enough evidence to say for sure what exactly. it was so you have to keep everything on the table all likely theories on the table i feel like for sure but John Burroughs believed the incident was caused by government experiments in harnessing an energy field and that the lighthouse was emitting electromagnetic frequencies toward the forest. It's been rumored that the British government wanted to make sure no information about these incidents made it to the public. And this comes from the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, who allegedly said, don't tell the people. Some of the witnesses had health issues in later years and they blamed it on the UFO sighting likely from the exposure to radiation for a long period of time. One witness claimed the exposure led to heart failure, and the VA was asked to evaluate the injuries he received in the line of duty. He was actually given a settlement and awarded full disability for UFO exposure, which is wild. But the whole thing was highly classified at first, and proves that the U.S. government took the claim very seriously. Former Senator John McCain and multiple senatorial and congressional aides were involved in the case. What's also interesting to note, though, is that some witnesses who were there during the sightings didn't report seeing the craft itself. And this has been used by skeptics to prove that it didn't exist, that it wasn't a craft at all. There are a few reasons why these witnesses might not have ever come forward. They might not really want to revolve their lives around being witnesses to a UFO sighting, which is likely to happen whether they want it to or not. Or if the craft was interdimensional, not everyone present would have seen it. And according to Dr. Stephen Greer, which he's got unacknowledged film, he's got Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, very, very interesting guy, uh, has done a ton of research on the subject, um, and I think knows a lot of shit on extraterrestrials and UFOs. He believes that, you know, these craft move in and out of this dimension, which is why they often appear as a light or a hologram. And the fact that they move at the speed of thought and not sound or light so oftentimes in order to see, you know, an interdimensional spacecraft, a person needs to be in a higher state of consciousness, which is very controversial, but also very interesting to me. I think it's also possible that the spacecraft can appear to whoever it wants to appear to, right? Like we've seen this in one of our previous episodes with Linda Napolitano, you know, the Manhattan alien abduction was a spacecraft was in a very high visibility place like you know, near the city. And this, you know, Linda's story, there were so many witnesses that saw the same thing that Linda did. 
And what we discussed in that episode is that perhaps the spacecraft has some type of defense mechanism or camouflage yeah, where yeah. it can appear to you yeah, that's know, a good point. who it chooses to, if if that's even possible. But it's, I, Yeah, it's possible, especially if it w- was some type of top secret, like military technology too, mm-hmm. like especially in that case, like that one really makes me think that maybe it was some type of like top secret sure government craft or some type of military thing for that very reason right i I do think that the whole idea of an interdimensional craft you know not being able to fully you know manifest itself in our reality and that's why it appears to be this light source is very interesting but in this case it does really seem like it did physically manifest itself completely Mm because touched it yeah and you know they saw it pretty clearly they drew a picture of it yeah of what it looked like they know what shape it was and everything so clearly you know, whatever it was, was, you know, a physical, you know, appeared physical to them and, you know, yeah, and but to everyone else that witnessed it. So they're able to describe it in so much detail yeah, and draw it out. Exactly. And like diagram and everything like, yep. I feel like that's pretty believable. It really is. After the whole incident, Jim Penniston actually wrote a four page statement about what he had seen and experienced for the U.S. Air Force Officer of Special Investigations. He knows that at least one other officer he was in radio contact with during the incident wrote a statement as well. He was briefed by an agent who he had never seen before and who was in a suit instead of a uniform. And he knew all of the OSI agents. And this wasn't one of them. This agent took his four-page statement and cut it down to a single paragraph. And now it said he didn't get within 50 feet of the craft. It was then brought back to him to sign. And he knew that he had to sign the statement for this to go away because his whole military career was at stake. So he did. And he didn't talk about it publicly until after he retired. So, I mean, that explains, because a lot of people be like, well, why didn't they come out and say exactly what, you know, happened to them at the time? But this is why, especially if you're in the military, I mean, yeah. you don't want to jeopardize your whole career and everything over something right. may, that may or may not have been real or been a, you don't know what you're seeing. So mm-hmm. like, what happens if you did witness something they didn't want you to witness and their, your career's at stake or worse they, yeah they take you out I mean, right you never know so it makes i mean it makes complete it makes sense a lot of sense why you'd wait till after you retire uh-huh. but he understands why people think the whole thing was a hoax because it does sound unbelievable but he's not looking for fame or fortune he's actually still haunted by the whole experience he said he even has nightmares and suffers from ptsd and that right there is proof as well i mean clearly this impacted this individual's life right to this point so why make it up right but he knows he has the support of his family and his four grown daughters have never questioned the story because they know he never lies after the rendlesham ufo incident the strange phenomena in the rendlesham forest did not stop in fact people have been experiencing strange things in the forest for decades there's actually countless reports of car engines cutting out for no reason scorch marks on trees and unexplained lights in the woods there's also been still tons of UFO sightings in the area. And there's actually now eight landing sites in the forest nearby the 1980 site. In January 2015, a dog walker took a video of moving lights in the sky above the forest that were swirling around a Royal Air Force helicopter. Which that's a really interesting clip. I mean, it looks like a helicopter is like chasing around some orbs in the sky mm-hmm. that's hovering over the forest. So clearly the, you know, the Royal Air Force is interested in it. Which is weird because the Royal Air Force Bentwaters and Royal Air Force Woodbridge were closed in 1993. The buildings of Bentwaters are now owned by companies, 
And after it was converted, a telecom worker was called in to fix the internet connection in one of the buildings. And what he found shocked him. There was actually cables under the floor capable of delivering a more powerful connection than modern equipment ever could. But they were from the 1980s. The 1980 landing site was also made into a tourist attraction in 2005 by the Forestry Commission, which now owns the forest. There's an official UFO trail that leads to the clearing. And in 2014, an artist was commissioned to create a replica of the UFO based on drawings and witness accounts. And obviously, it's a super popular spot for people to visit. I'd love to see it. That's, yeah. It's really cool though, that they made like an actual and kind of like replica. Like, uh, that's really cool. But new evidence for the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident continues to bring attention back to the case. In 1980, the trees in the forest were all mature. And since the base was closed, the Forestry Commission replanted the area. And all the trees have regrown except for in parts of the clearing. In some spots, trees seem to just refuse to grow as if the ground is contaminated. In 2015, Charles got new evidence from the radar operators who were working at the Royal Air Force Bentwaters in December 1980. And they confirmed that there was an unknown object on their radar moving at thousands of miles per hour at the time that these sightings happened. And just like him, they didn't want to talk publicly until after they retired. New witnesses have come forward as recently as 2016 and 2019, and one of them described the same reddish ball in the sky that the other witnesses saw. So with so much physical evidence and on-the-record testimony from high-ranking military officials, it's no wonder that this is one of the best-known and most-studied UFO events in history. It's even earned the nickname of Britain's Roswell. How interesting is that? So interesting. It really makes me want to go to the forest and I know check it out. I mean, there's so many like commonalities between this event. There's commonalities between Roswell. I was just thinking like the the craft that crashed in Roswell. They had the same type of like glyphs on the side, almost like you know symbols and things like wow. that was found on that craft that was recovered. And then you know even going to Skinwalker Ranch. I mean the yeah. radiation spots. Right. I was in thinking Skinwalker that too. Ranch. I mean. That's a very common trait yeah. of these UFOs. I mean, it's it's super, super interesting. For sure. And even the the red eyes that was mentioned made me think of Skinwalker Ranch and possibly right. uh, Skinwalkers themselves. You know, uh, who knows? Who knows what's going on in the Rendlesham Forest? Yeah. I'm curious if any of you out there have been to, you know, the UFO trail here or, if, you know, seen anything yourself in the Rendlesham Forest. Definitely share with us. We'd love to to hear your thoughts on this one it's just such a baffling story i mean it's yeah it's, it's it must have been creepy being out there in the forest with those <laughs> yeah. lights and stuff i mean for can't sure imagine how how wild of an experience that had been and uh-huh. makes sense they have like ptsd from that oh yeah i mean that's that's just crazy what they saw what they witnessed and also i mean who knows what the radiation was mm-hmm. you know what that did to them too so you know it, it does make me kind of question travis walton's story he didn't even touched the the spacecraft and still got shot by a, a beam. Uh, but in this case, yeah. they, they were able to touch it and receive all this information and, and were not harmed. But I mean, who knows? It could all be different, though. I mean, he, yeah. could, he could have encountered something different. I mean, yeah. who's to say that they're all the, all all the, same. Are the same? Oh, that's a good point right there. Who knows? I mean, yeah, this could have been some type of like unmanned drone or some type mm-hmm. of, you know, ai craft like i said or it could have been piloted by biological life forms but what was it doing what was its purpose there why did it you know reveal it to reveal itself to them 
right in the way that it did why did it land was somebody mm-hmm. something going to get out of the craft or yeah. was it just it's such a fun? good I mean, such a good knows? question like what's your purpose yeah. <laughs> why are you here or was it all made up i mean uh-huh. there's lots of skeptics out there a lot of people think it's just a bunch of it was a kite <laughs> you know it was a, it was the, just the lighthouse light and these guys are all yeah, mad it was crazy. a prank yeah prank come on come on seriously yeah. these guys are like decorated military members why the hell would they yeah why would they bullshit that's that's my whole thing that's what i come back to is like why why lie why make the shit I up know. you're not getting rich off this yeah you're, yeah you're getting attention and, and things like that but you're not it's not what's that doing for your life Mm-hmm. They're they're sharing their story because it was that impactful, to right? Me. Like, and they're trying to spread awareness. Any of us would do that. Yeah. If, I, if I had an event like this happen, I'd be talking about it all the time. You want to share it with everyone, so it makes a lot of sense to me why, you know, why they waited till they retired to come mm-hmm. out and talk about it. And obviously, there's documentation now. We know yep. that it was spotted on radar, so it's pretty much, you know, a known fact that this Rendlesham UFO incident happened. Right. It's just like, what was it? But, you know, the the speed of the craft makes me doubt that it was a drone or, you know, something like that. Yeah, it seems like the technology was unlike anything they'd ever seen on this planet. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what they said. You think so. about it, the military, they're probably not F-16s anymore, but those type of planes come to mind. And those are our fastest jets that the military has. As far as we know. Yeah. As far as we know. So if we want to have the advantage in the military why wouldn't if we truly did have light speed aircraft i feel like we would know about it yeah you so, think that and if we were trying to hide it why'd they just like fly it through the forest that yeah, night and, and hover there for a while makes no sense yeah, to land on the ground know. so yeah it's it's a tough one i mean it's hard to to know which direction this goes but yeah. I, I think it goes more towards the unexplained phenomenon that's for sure mm-hmm. definitely something we just don't know about yet but definitely let us know what you you think of the Rendlesham UFO incident. If you enjoyed this episode of Lights Out Podcast, let us know. Make sure you're subscribed and following us on social media at Lights Out Cast. But until next time, lights out, everybody.